Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Death is the subject of this program. We will all experience it, hopefully without pain, and with loved ones and friends near. In this edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Robin Cottrell and Margie Henderson, both of Ukiah, California, who describe their work as death midwives. This is part of their efforts with the Death Cafe, an international group whose aim is to increase awareness of death and to help people make the most of their finite lives. As death midwives, Robin and Margie sing quiet a cappella to people in the end stages of life. When these two women visited the studios of Radio Curious on June 26, 2016, we began with a song. I want to die easy when I die. I want to die easy when I die. I want to die easy when I die. And shout, oh, freedom, as I rise. I want to die easy when I die. I want to die easy when I die, when I die. I want to die easy when I die, when I die. I want to die easy when I die. And shout, oh, freedom, as I rise. I want to die easy when I die. Robin Cottrell and Margie Henderson, welcome to Radio Curious. Thanks. Thank you, Barry. What's the background on the song, I Want to Die Easy? We've been singing threshold songs, and in the threshold choir, there are a variety of small songs that we sing at bedsides. And we wouldn't generally sing that song when somebody is really sick or actively dying, but we would... If somebody has gotten a diagnosis and they'd like some support from the choir, we might go and sing a song like that. Threshold Singers, what is that group of which you are both members? Threshold Choir was started by a fabulous woman named Kate Munger about 15, 17 years ago who decided that she wanted to gather some singers together and sing at bedsides of the very ill or dying. And it started with one group in the Bay Area and has expanded to many groups in the Bay Area, and now it's expanded all over the country and in other countries as well. Basically, it's mostly women, although they are at this point allowing men to be part of the choirs. It started out being in all women's choir groups Many of the songs are written by choir members. They're short, they are repetitive, and comforting. The whole goal is to be like lullabies and help people to relax. Well, Robin and Margie, and that was Robin uh, from whom we just heard, living here in Ukiah, California, 
You're involved with a program that is called Death Cafe. What is that? It's a public space where death can be discussed, so people come to talk about death in whatever way they want to. Robin and and Margie, over the time that you've been involved with the Death Cafe, what are some of the topics that stand out in your mind that have been brought to the table for discussion? So one of the things I find very interesting is that the number of people who come and tell stories about the sense of their past loved one coming back to them in some way, whether it's a a random sighting or whether it's some message that they clearly are getting from these people. And that's one of the things sometimes if the conversation has stalled, I have in the past asked how many of you have felt the presence of your loved one after they've died. And most of the people at the table raise their hand. And then we talk about that. People have also talked about their own fears and their own trepidation about what might happen, kind of looking for some kind of support or information about how to ease their own fears. What are those fears that uh, people talk about? Will somebody be there for me? Um, Will there be pain and suffering? Not so much what happens after death, but that comes up sometimes, as if anybody could know (laughs) for sure. But it's always an interesting conversation because everybody has some thought about it. It's rare to have somebody say, I don't know, we'll see. Everybody has some kind of idea about what might be the answer on that. I think one of the most successful things about the Death Cafe was when a couple of women decided that they would work together to do their advanced directives, then spent the next weeks meeting often, and they made their advanced directives extraordinarily specific and considered all kinds of things, like who they would want to have around them when they were dying, and where they would want to be, and what kind of medication or not medication or not intervention from hospital, but the quality of care that they would want. And because they made it so specific, they were able to talk to their families then very clearly about what they wanted. Advanced directives not only deal with what you said, but the greater breadth of health care at the end of one's life, as well as what happens to the body after death. Exactly. Most people still are feeling like the only thing they know to do is call the mortuary and have their dear loved one removed as quickly as possible. And that's not necessarily the only answer. It's possible to keep our loved ones at home for days on dry ice and have the time to really viscerally understand that the the essence of that person is no longer in this dear, beloved body. We can take the time to bathe that person and have ceremony and say thank you for these loving hands that have done all these things for us throughout their lives. It's just an example. And people who have experienced keeping their loved one at home after death have generally much less issue about their grief process. They have a 
a closer relationship with each other because the, of the tasks that are shared by people. And children who are involved with after-death care have much less fear or confusion about what death is. What do you think is the social impetus in uh, a feeling to have a mortuary or a mortician's come right after someone has died, as opposed to the examples that you just shared? Conditioning, I think, at this point. And it's a very lucrative industry. And there is a problem at this time with some of the lobbyists for the funeral industries that are trying in many states to shut down the ability to be able to care for our own dead. Fortunately, in California, that's not the case here yet, but there's a a whole legislative watchdog team that's continually monitoring that to make sure that we still have the right to care for our own. Well, following up on what you said a moment ago, what can mortuaries do for a dead person and the family of the person who died that the family cannot do for itself? And Margie, you mentioned dry ice. I don't believe there's anything that the mortuary can do that the family couldn't do, but there are some really terrible accidents that would need a lot of skill to care for that kind of devastation at home. For example? A car accident or something where the body is really messed up. Embalming is useful, but very, very rarely, only if a body is to be shipped to another state, for instance. Otherwise, the toxic chemicals of embalming harm both the embalmer and the earth. Probably for people who are still in a tremendous amount of fear about death, who rely on a professional, give some distance. One thing that the mortuary can provide that we can't do is cremation. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in Colorado, they can. They can do open-air cremation in one town. I can't remember the name of it, but that's not exactly legal or um, wise during the summer months, especially in California. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Robin Cottrell and her partner, Margie Henderson. They live and work in Ukiah, California, home of Radio Curious, We're discussing death and dying and the death cafe and pre-planning. Robin and Margie are also part of an international group called the Threshold Singers. And I'd like to ask you if you could sing another song and the circumstances when these songs are presented. I presume it's generally private in the... uh, home of the person who is having a near-death experience. As threshold singers, only two or three women would go to a bedside. Part of what we offer as a service is a quiet presence. And so the quality of the singing is very quiet. It is like an extension of the heart opening. So we come with an open heart a peaceful presence, a trust that what's happening in that room is safe. And because we come in the door without any need for being introduced or social conversation, we don't disturb what's already happening, but we support 
the intelligence of that transformation of death by singing quietly for as long as we have a sense that it's helpful to the caregivers and the person who's in the bed. We're always asked by the person who's dying, unless they're unconscious, and then we would only go if we're personally asked. You mention the intelligence of that kind of transformation. What do you mean when you use the word intelligence? For those of us who trust death, there is a process during the end of life that is experienced viscerally when we're in an open state of being. So when I've been at deaths where you can see the process for that person, whether they're conscious or not, that there is a movement of spirit, of their life force, that is natural and right, because all things must die in order for life to arise. And so in that intelligence of process, that the brain waves are going through, that the frequency of the life force is going through, there is such a beauty to it. There's an extraordinary depth of reality that a lot of us block ourselves from. So at a bedside like that, you're blown open in a sense to the deeper reality of life. Who is the you that is blown open? I am blown open when I'm there in that presence. I think that the dying person themselves are opened, not blown because that sounds too abrupt, but opened, 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 actually physiologically as the brain waves change during the death time and as the the frequency of consciousness is more set free, more experienced by the person who's dying. <laughs> I like your face when it, when it's confounded <laughs> by a pile of words that don't necessarily make sense. <laughs> We're going to sing you another song. Please. Put everything in order as day begins to fade. Put everything in order as day begins to fade. All things are passing. Moment by moment, breath to breath. All things are passing. Moment by moment, birth to death. Put everything in order as day begins to fade. Put everything in order as day begins to fade. All things are passing moment by moment, breath 
by breath. All things are passing, moment by moment, birth to death. Robin Cottrell and Margie Henderson, my recollection is that you both had prior careers and before doing the work that you're doing now. Can you tell us each, starting with Margie, what prompted you to go in this direction? When I was 22, my sister-in-law died of cancer, and I inherited her five kids. So I had kids under seven, and I didn't know how to deal with that grief. But it opened me up to wanting to be around death. I was a barber for the years, the decade when there were a lot of people dying in San Francisco of AIDS. And a lot of our clients and some of the barbers that I worked with were in their dying times. And I was invited into those homes and bedsides. I saw a lot of suffering there, and I wanted to be more skilled at helping with that. And my former partner died in an ICU, um, which taught me a lot about the uh, the falseness, I guess, of a lot of the medical interventions when you're very, very close to death. Raman Cottrell, what was the magnet for you to follow in this line of work? In 2002, I was the caregiver for a dear friend of mine who was dying of pancreatic cancer. And she stayed with us for probably two months as she grew more and more ill. And our arrangement was that if she would stay with me in town until she couldn't get out of bed anymore, then we would take her to her home and I would care for her there so she could die at home. And it made a very lasting impression on me. Six months later, my mom died of cancer. And so I was her caregiver as well. And I was so grateful for Helen that I had had kind of a dress rehearsal so that for my mother I could be more skilled, more educated, less afraid, more present. And it seemed like at that point my feet just were on a path and people I knew were dying or friends of friends and they would say, can you come and just be here with me? And I'd say, sure. So for the two of you, how frequently do you visit people at their home in their last days or weeks or moments? When asked. When asked, yes. I I wouldn't say once a week. I wouldn't even say once a month. But if somebody close to us is dying, then that period of time that could take six months, we're invited in to be supportive in any way that we can. Sometimes when I've been asked to do spiritual care before somebody's dying time, it would be regular sessions, like once a week of visits over time until the death occurs. Robin and Margie, I understand that you have a story about Sophie, which deals with the quality of presence and the awkwardness of the moment. Could you share that with us? A friend of ours was sitting with her neighbor, an elderly woman who was very distraught that she wasn't at home for her dying time. She was in a nursing home. And our friend asked us to come and sit with them because of our experience. So Sophie was 
alert and loving and vibrant and clear. But she did want to, at a certain point, leave her body. She was on hospice, and she said she didn't want to eat anymore. The staff at the nursing home was uncomfortable with that and felt it was their job to keep offering. She was a plate woman, so she would sometimes eat, but she really wanted to let go. What was so amazing for me is that I've had to learn how to get over my own awkwardness about sitting in a chair that seems so private and personal. And yet I invite people to consider how essential it sometimes is that we offer our presence there. So we sat with Sophie. There were times in the middle of the night when I knew she was alone. I'd wake up and I'd be thinking of her and I would drive over to the nursing home just to sit with her some more. There was a point when the other patient's family in Sophie's room called and said, it looks like she's dying. So we turned the car around and were there within minutes. And there was Sophie being surrounded by strangers who were kneeling and praying for her. It was so beautiful. They slowly backed off, the three of us, her friend arrived too, and we were there for her last breaths. It felt like we were invited. I just need to share the last thing that happened for Sophie. She'd been in a coma for days. Her eyes were closed. She was breathing through her mouth. All of a sudden, she opened her eyes. She raised her arms up. She kind of lifted her torso up a little bit, and she had the most wow look on her face, and then drew her last breath, laid her arms down, and she died. And I just wanted to know, what did you see? I've since heard that called the gaze of glory, and I cannot think of a more apt term for it. Well, Robin Cottrell and Margie Henderson, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And wonder if you have one more short song before I ask you the questions I like to ask everyone at the end of a conversation. Sure. This is a song I wrote some time ago for a friend. Now it's part of the Threshold Song Repertoire. I will keep a candle burning long after day is gone. There's a candle in the window of my heart, my dear. And when the darkness is around you, I'll hold the light up high. I will keep a candle burning for you, dear. I will keep a candle burning long after day is gone. There's a candle in the window of my heart, my dear. And when the darkness is around you, I'll hold the light up high. I will keep a candle burning for you, dear. I will keep a candle burning long after you are gone. There's a candle in the window of my heart, my dear. And when the darkness is around me, I'll hold your light up high. I will keep a candle burning for you, dear.
Margie Henderson, can you share with us a eureka or an aha moment that changed your life, gave you a new vision as to your interpretation of the world? When I was taught that the survival instinct is not an accurate motivator for this time in life, that survival is not as interesting as being open-heartedly present to the moment and available to what's going on as is, without argument. And I think I learned that both from reading Viktor Frankl, The Man's Search for Meaning, way when I was young I learned the idea. Then I learned that there were some skills that could be learned from Eckhart Tolle with The Power of Now. And in my practice of being fearless, to live a life not based in fear consciousness, but in a state of um, belief that all of life is precious no matter what arises. I can meet death with equanimity, hopefully my own as well. What would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Stay present every moment. I have no other goals. And is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? I have two. I love Mark Nepo's book, The Book of Awakening, Daily Wisdom that consistently informs my day. And the other one, The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary. And Robin Cottrell, can you share with us a eureka or an aha moment? I'd have to say it's when I realized that there are some people who just flat out cannot be present when somebody is dying. They're not wired for it, but that I am. And what I can bring to a deathbed is no fear, a generosity of love and heartfelt presence. What would you, Robin, like to do with the rest of your one precious life? I would like to get more comfortable in my body. And I would like to do more of the work that I feel called to do. And finally, Robin, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? One of my very favorite books is West with the Night by Burl Markham. Remarkably fabulous tale of her life in Africa and then as a female aviator. It's fabulous and beautifully written. Robin Cottrell and Margie Henderson, thank you so much for being with us on Radio Curious. It's always an honor, Barry. I admire this show very much. Margie Henderson and Robin Cottrell are death midwives and participants in the Death Cafe, an international group whose aim is to increase awareness of death and to help people make the most of their finite lives. The books Margie Henderson recommends are The Book of Awakening, Having the Life You Want by Being Present to the Life You Have by Mark Napo, and The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary. The book Robin Cottrell recommends is West with the Night by Burl Markham. This program was recorded on June 26, 2016.
Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new editions published regularly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service, and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onested and Yuko Kodama are the assistant producers. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.